Hello and welcome to Real World Radio Europe, a show that's bringing together what's going on in the over 30 national member groups of Friends of the Earth Europe. We are the European branch of the world's largest grassroots environmental and social justice network, Friends of the Earth International. I'm Lo, and today we are going to have a look at feminism and how it relates to our work for environmental justice. But before we even start, let me just say that if feminism was the starting point of this podcast, we hope to go beyond a binary vision that only considers men and women. In our network, just as in many other spaces, we see that feminism and the work for gender justice seems to be rising up. You might have heard of Friends of the Earth International Gender Justice Working Group, of which Ivana, that you will hear later on in this podcast, is a member of. You might also have heard about the feminist group that was created at the Friends of the Earth Europe office. We won't hear so much about it, but we will also speak to Shena, who is part of that group. Or maybe like Shined and Louise, um, who you will hear in the second part of this podcast, you might be part of or you have created your own eco-feminist group. And if you have, you might be familiar with one particular question that we have uh, been asked during one of our feminist lunches. Why the need for feminism when on paper men and women are equal in Europe? Let's see what Shena and Ivana have to say about this. But first, maybe you might want to know who they are. So I am Shena Sanchez and I'm part of the network development team. And I'm coordinating a project called School Sustainability, which is also um, aiming to strengthen our capacities, um, whether translated into the form of how we do our campaigns, community organizing and our role in the wider movement. My name is Ivana Kulic, I'm from Bosnia and Herzegovina and I'm an activist in Center for Environment and also I am one of the representatives of Europe within a new Friends of the Earth International Gender Justice Working Group. So back to your question, why the need for feminism today in Europe? Our country is still very conservative and patriarchal and forms of gender-based oppression can be seen actually all the time. So some time ago within our organization, we noticed that we didn't have a serious discourse about gender-related issues and also that in a way we were participating in injustice because, for example, we were only referring to male gender on the level of linguistics, even though most of our staff and activists are female. And from that moment, we actually realized we need to work on this and try to eliminate any form of discrimination. Yeah, it is still needed and important today because we need to continue the struggles fought and won um, before but are being attacked again today. Yeah, for example, it could trace back to, you know, ancestral women elders who fought colonial imperial powers to protect communities and nature, um, you have the voting rights. So many have been won, but uh, as we see their legacy and those of all other women who were part of various liberation movements, continue because we are still 
women disproportionately impacted by corporate power and neoliberal system in the world. And then we also see, also in Europe, um, what used to be more predominant, I guess, in the global south when we look at corporate plantations and extractive industries that led to or lead to land grabbing, not only in rural and indigenous communities. So this deprives us of our land, culture, and livelihood. And so, yeah, connecting the dots of local and global struggles, um, I feel connected to all women, part of this strong power base of worldwide resistance. You know, we are nature and people protectors. Something um, that is probably well known within the climate justice movement, but not so much out of it, um, is um, how women can be much more vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. Why is that? Yeah, um, climate change uh, threatens our ability to guarantee dignity, safety and basic rights for all, particularly uh, for the women. Um, women, especially in many developing countries, bear more consequences of climate change as they are often responsible for farming, finding water, collecting fuel, wood, food, and so on. And so as climate change disrupts this resources availability of water, agricultural productivity, and survival of ecosystems, this task um, of women will become or are becoming more difficult. This also decreased time left for education, other productive activities. And so this is why responses and initiatives toward climate justice, um, including if it's in the form of capacity building, uh, must address gender inequity as well. And Ivana, is that something that you can see in your region or your country, that women can be more vulnerable to these negative impacts of climate change or environmental disasters? Oh, well, yes, um, I have actually done an interview with one woman from a town which was devastated in the uh, great floods we had in 2014. And she actually told me that women were more under stress due to the fact that they were the ones taking care of the children, which is again a role given to them by the patriarchal society. And she also noted that humanitarian aid lacked hygienic products for females and concerning medications, there was a lack of contraceptive pills, which as we know for now only taken by women. And maybe a stupid question, but how does the work on gender justice relate to your environmental activism? So to us, the communities we are working with are the most important and we need to keep in mind the social dynamics within them, which includes this gender struggle. And we all, we all do that in order to create an environment which is benefiting nature and the people living there. Gender justice issues relate to power dynamics issues. And even if Friends of the Earth fights for equity for all, we see tensions arising within our own groups. Why do you think it happens and um, what can we do about this? Well, I believe that it happens in every group in general and in our organization. And I believe it's due to misconceptions about what feminism is and who are the people affected by it, by the gender oppressions. 
especially in Bosnia, you come across situations where people tell you there's no need for a feminist perspective on everything or that everybody should be focused only on their specific study. So people stick to some kind of phrases which are becoming mainstream and washed out. They don't realize that if you're trying to break, for example, capitalism, that that, that fight has to continue, a fight for dismantled patriarchy and that all of our problems within environment, with women and trans rights, workers' rights, it all comes from the same cause and we can break it and solve it only working in solidarity. So we believe that every group can improve and make changes by firstly representing these ideas of collective and solidarity work and then applying it to our everyday actions by always keeping in mind are we affecting any specific group in a bad manner and so on. So I just think that all the problems are because people aren't very aware of what what we are trying to do, actually. Tensions arise when we look at struggles from separate lens. I mean, being an environmental and social justice network, we simply have to work also on gender justice. Um, we need to acknowledge within our groups that women environmental activists are still facing discrimination, as well as systemic and structural oppressions brought by capitalism. And this is being aggravated by yeah, multifaceted factors um, linked to power and privilege. So for example, there are still struggles to fight for the right to freely participate in decision-making processes within hierarchical and at times patriarchal structures. Within the wider movement, um, yeah, women are still fighting for the right to fair and also genuinely inclusive or multicultural and non-sexist representation um, in social, uh, political and economic spheres. And also to acknowledge that women and trans women need to be um, heard, you know, to have the space to be hers and to have key roles in the campaigns, for example, in the organizations. And so, yeah, how can we change this? Um, let's start with the organizations within the network, the groups that we were just talking about. So we need to arrive at um, a stronger political analysis, common understanding, and at collective solutions to ensure equity and intersectionality. Uh, we need to be constructively critical um, of our ways of working, especially those boosting privileges linked to class, education level, race, access to resources. So those at times, or more often than not, perpetuate the cycles of oppression. And when we talk about system change, this is the most important aspect to address, personally, in my opinion, whether formally through policies or through behavioral changes in our activist working spaces. So there are different ways to address this. And I think within school sustainability, this comes in the form of um, yeah, having spaces for um, meaning making and to address the root causes of Problems. Talking about School of Sustainability, you focus a lot on power and privilege. And uh, could you explain what you do? So from the School of Sustainability project, which is also actually beyond a project, because what we aim to do is to embed um, this critical analysis. So it goes beyond educational activities, in fact. And so I'm connect connecting or coordinating different uh, activities within the network uh, promoting popular education and anti-oppression. Um, um, so practically, we have done exercises like quite 
challenging for some, like this power flower. So looking at the different social identities, um, privileged woke, mainstream and margins. So to explore our own individual um, social identities linked to power and privilege. Sometimes we also link it to social identities within the organizations we are part of and also the wider society that we are operating in. So, yeah, upon realization of our privileges, we explore ways to use it to support and to liberate in the frame of the wider cause instead of <laughs> oppressing. Um, because sometimes this is what uh, we see, how privileges are being used to oppress others. And on the other hand, so realization also of our own oppressions can be also insightful because we see that we are not to blame. It is something linked to structural uh, system. So all this is part of um, sustaining our power base or contributing to uh, the power base in the networks. So yeah, I'm striving to have as much space for this cooperative learning and tackling issues uh, from the roots. Um, so in the light also of the current social, economic and political context. You said earlier, Ivana, that um, your group started working on gender justice. What do you do exactly um, for this work? At the moment, we are still at the first stage where we are introducing people to the general ideas of feminism and showing them examples of gender-based oppression and how to avoid it. This viewpoint came to us not so long ago, so we are still trying to implement it within our working groups. It's not like fully developed. So we only we can only take small steps in action. For example, we supported feminist activists on a protest walk on 8th of the March, but we are actually trying to emphasize that attention should be paid to these issues, not only on a few international dates, but within our daily activities as environmentalists and like people outside of the office. The first step, we are planning to introduce these ideas to all of our staff members so that they can include them in their further work in their specific fields. So by that way, we are including everybody in this work, which like all genders and all different age groups. Thanks a lot to Shena and Ivana for their time and their great insight in the work done and to be done still. You are listening to Friends of the Earth Europe's show at the Your Radio. Moving on to Ireland now, um, I talked to Louise and Sinead, who are both climate justice activists within the Young Friends of the Earth group of Ireland and um, who also set up their own eco-feminist group. It is not often that we have the opportunity to talk to two persons at the same time and it was fascinating the conversation that we had just by sharing experiences. Here are some bits of the one hour and a half conversation that we had. So I'm Louise Fitzgerald. Uh, I'm a PhD student um, researching environmental policy and environmental justice and kind of looking at the uh, crossover between human rights and, and UN environmental policy in particular. Um, so that would involve also like how it affects women and indigenous uh, communities. And also trying to seek to, to figure out ways that we can 
better policy for really just and sustainable transitions. Um, and also I'm a climate activist involved in Young Friends of the Earth in Ireland and also along with Sinead just set up um, the Irish eco-feminist coven. Uh, yeah, that's me. Cool. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, my, my name is Sinead Mercier and uh, I'm currently a researcher with the Irish Green Party. Um, but before that, I worked in a law firm looking at renewable energy and uh, I'm also a climate activist as well, um, involved in Young Friends of the Earth and with Louise as well. We set up the Irish Ecofeminist Coven too. So um, yeah, no doubt uh, big into climate change. So that's it. You're both uh, a climate um, activist and maybe actually a climate justice activist. Uh, <laughs> and um, so how do you relate all these um, feminism and ecofeminism maybe as well uh, to your to, to, the, to your climate activism or to climate activism in general? So I suppose to take a sort of ecofeminist perspective would say that we see the oppression of women as fundamentally intrinsically linked also with the impression of, of nature. Um, and that plays out also in very tangible ways. So you see a lot of, of very often, um, for example, in America and other countries uh, where there's extractive industries where people come in. So, so men come in to work on these oil rigs or tar sands or whatever it is. Often it's Native American women who suffer um, violence and abuse as a result of that. So there really is an intrinsic link between this kind of exploitation and abuse of nature and also the exploitation and abuse of women and just how we how how that's accepted within our society and how it's actually um, sort of just systematic um, to, to the way the way society is organized at the moment and, and that's what we really aim to tackle. Yeah, definitely. Um, like for for me, ecofeminism is kind of comes from the idea, as Louise describes there as well, is um, this idea that uh, the the belief that we have, uh, well, not not ourselves, but the belief that there's an inherent right to exploit people or extract from certain types of people, um, particularly marginalised people, as Louise described, when it comes to Native Americans in America, um, is based fundamentally on the idea that you can that human beings in general have a fundamental and inherent right to exploit the earth. And that that uh, unless you tackle one, you you can't really get rid of the other. And also as well in terms of feminism and eco uh, and uh, eco feminist perspective of how Ireland has dealt with um, repeal the eighth and other issues too is. Um, it's quite interesting because um, I also I was speaking to a few friends from. Germany and Turkey, two of my friends were over and uh, it was very interesting how sexually repressed Ireland still is in some ways. <laughs> um, they were saying that it's quite interesting that uh, like the, the and I for me that kind of stems from a hatred of the body, so um, a, a hatred of anything kind of uh, natural or connected to the earth, which again stems from Christian theology or from enlightenment beliefs that you can separate the mind from the body and those who are more like the body, which is women because of pregnancy or be, um, uh, from a kind of like a pseudo-scientific perspective, other races because they're not as white and as pure, um, that those kind of perspectives stem from a hatred of the body fundamentally. And so, yeah, actually... In our email exchanges um, previous to this call, you mentioned the, the need to talk um, yeah, about what the nature of environmental activism is in Ireland and how it's largely dri driven by women or caregivers. And yet, um, 
too often it is male-centric. I don't know if you meant that in terms of who has... Um, uh, who is in power in these movement in these uh, groups, or um, or if you meant something different, you also talked about the narrative. So um, I was curious to hear about it. It is something interesting that um, just from what I've noticed as well, and it'd be great to get Louise and your own perspective on it from a European perspective. Hilary Tovey um, and Liam Leonard, they've written great books um, looking at Irish environmental activism. And it's quite interesting that um, kind of Irish environmental consciousness um, uh, is believed in the official environmentalist perspective to have come with Ireland's inclusion into the EU. So the, the belief is that Ireland gets all its laws about protecting the environment from the EU. So therefore the EU and those who benefit from the EU um, are the type of people who um, who lead on climate change and lead on environmental issues. Um, however, now the EU um, in many respects actually kind of commodified the environment or um, kind of uh, changed it into, not in, in, like, to be fair now, the Euro European Union is very good on climate change in many respects. But for example, there's a case now in the Burren where farmers um, had been farming that land for um, generations in a particular way, and still do that to that way, do that um, do that kind of practice today. And the European Union said this is now a specially protected area, and um, you can't uh, practice your farming practices here. You have to leave, and the cows were taken off the burn. And what actually happened was that because obviously cows have been part of Irish history since oh since Celtic times, if not before, um, it actually led to the degradation of the area and the, a loss of plant life and loss of biodiversity. So that EU perspective that humans and nature are completely separate um, is actually uh, was actually misplaced and wrong in this instance. Um, and that's kind of um, something. <coughs> Quite interesting about the European Union as well. Um, in Ireland, the the types of people who tend to be very kind of foremost and to the fore on environmental activism, in it, in its official sense, uh, they tend to be people who are policymakers or um, environmental lawyers. And what happens there is that they're generally of a particular class and generally of a particular perspective due to their upbringing. Largely, they're, they're generally always very good people. And Thatcher, fantastic as well. But the general belief was that, um, which comes from the European Union largely, um, and kind of more kind of colonial English perspectives as well, is that nature is something perfect, not to be sullied, and something separate from human beings. And there's kind of a Malthusian idea that the the dirty, great, unwashed um, don't understand nature and need to nature has to be protected from them, rather than seeing uh, human beings as nature itself, um, and perfectly allowed to um, work in in communion with nature, not not exploiting it. And that um, that kind of idea that nature should be separate and held in a pedestal is very similar to how women were believed to be special and separate and held up in a pedestal. And it actually led to their exploitation and to their degradation as well. So the same sort of thing, placing humans or placing um, the environment in a pedestal is just as much part of that kind of extractive, exploitative um, frame of mind. Um, Louise, do you, do you want as Louise is a fantastic activist who's come over from a divestment movement in Berlin. So um, I suppose if you'd like to talk about the differences there, Louise, maybe for a bit or? Experience of Irish activism, because I sort of, yeah, like she said, I was very much involved in the divestment movement in Germany for three years. So that's sort of my, um, that was my activist scene on my return home about a year ago. Um, so I've definitely recognised some gaps, which I, you know, we, 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 we set up the eco-feminist collective because we realized that there was a sort of the sort of things that we're talking about and like you said it's a whole new uh, maybe it's a whole new 
vein of feminism that people didn't haven't heard about or maybe this this talk of these linkages this really saying that it's this oppression that we see in this marginalization and this exploitation like Sinead so well described um you know making the linkages between women and marginalized groups and how we treat nature um and which is really i guess quite a radical stance to take to really point at the system and say it's the system that's that's causing these things and and we actually need to change a systemic level Um, and just being sort of bold enough to say that it's interesting then in ireland um, the kind of uh, environmental movements that have been most successful have, have actually been ones very connected to health. So Cairnsore Point, for example, which was a big opposition to nuclear power in the 1970s, was largely led by women, um, by concerned mothers and concerned women uh, teachers and so on, the community. And um, uh, so, and there's uh, there's other examples of that in Dublin as well. The anti-acid rain or anti um, anti fracking too. A lot of the underground activists are actually women. But when it comes to kind of speaking opportunities or when it comes to official organisations who then kind of lead on it in more official forums, uh, it tends to be men because um, men would be men would be considered perhaps the kind of more official uh, banner holders, if you get me. They're more likely to be listened to. Um, this kind of belief runs rampant. Um, and you can see with the water charges protests as well. Um, there's a lot of debate about that in the environmental movement, but it was fascinating that on the ground, um, people who were organising the meetings, setting up the Facebook groups, everything, were women. Um, and same with Apollo House as well, which was another great housing protest. Um, and what happened was that uh, the um, men kind of, uh, certain, not always, but like a certain type of masculine um, behaviour, uh, which can be practised by men or women, but a certain type of very kind of loud, controlling uh, generally male voice um, would take over the movement and come embrace it, you know, and um, that is the, that's the problem because that's anti-ecologist as well, because it doesn't recognise that human beings in general contribute to change or to progression in society. That's something that's fascinating. It, it, it's really interesting that you give that example of, um, I was once in a group, um, it was an activist group, and um, the, at some point, for some reason, the, the mode, he would be listened to or would have uh, the, the final word was the one who was speaking the longest, the loudest. Um, mm-hmm. As a woman, I, I have learned to to. to behave that way and so I could do it <laughs> um, but I was finding it um, exhausting that was not um, that was not the energy I wanted to be in it was really it had really mm-hmm. negative impacts for me um, yeah. and and also what what sometimes was happening and, and what I could see what I started seeing was I would have sometimes a um, um, girlfriend who would come and, and tell me like oh you say it because you you know like you're listened to and and you can you know how to speak to them and or or actually um, a man as well but who doesn't have um, like university education who would come and tell me like oh you know I I just listen I don't have anything to say in the decision because I I'm ignorant I don't know anything and it, it was it was really really it was really hard for me, and actually, the final decision for me was leaving the group because it's it's a it's a way of behaving that I, it's 
in my vision of change is just completely opposite to what we're, we we want and 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 if you're not able to reflect on that in the way you're working and and it happens it, it's also really in like in, in our bodies but if you want to work on it then maybe you can achieve the change that you you say you want but if you don't then I really have serious doubts <laughs> so yeah it's quite, quite <laughs> really nice to hear you also share this because I myself have also felt this for a long time that we need um uh, need space to, to sort of to really reflect and meditate on what we're what we're doing and what sort of activism we want to be part of and what we want to put out there um, and I think a lot of times in in groups um, you know th- that that reflection doesn't happen maybe or or I think a lot of it does is to do with fear so people obviously join activism because they're frightened about what's going on um, and unless there's right ways to process that fear or maybe people are coming from sort of a more a place of ego like what Sinead was talking about or kind of replicating these these injustices that we already see in society in terms of domination and oppression and and if we do that in our own groups then actually we're just going to replicate the system as a whole in the sort of work that we do and um, so for me that was also why I was um, very happy to set up the group with Sinead because I think it, it, it offers a place for that uh, and a space for that sort of reflection and then from that from that point then becoming you know, thinking about how we can become as inclusive as possible and, and intersectional and, and, and kind of create that sort of energy that we want actually to ripple throughout the rest of society. Um, and that's really, I think, where the, the, the hope for activism lies. And, and I think that is in some ways coming into the mainstream, like I've, I've, I've been in groups that hasn't happened, but um, I've noticed more now also uh, myself and Sinead, um, would have been at a weekend which was held in, in Clock Jordan Eco Village with Young Friends of the Earth and and uh, and really the, the this was for young young people who were, who were newly getting into activism and the whole kind of vibe of the of the weekend was really like wellness and, and mindfulness and taking mm. you know this kind of idea of wellness and mindfulness and um, just being aware of the diversity that's also in our group like even if it's not obvious people may be having whatever it might be social anxiety problems or just be shy or language you know they might not be speaking the the language um, that the weekend was conducted in and we really always made an effort to say you know uh those people who usually are aware themselves that they talk a lot, make sure just to kind of rein that in a bit, you know, to give other people a chance. And, <laughs> and it was really always this remembering that um, that we're sort of, a t- you know, that we're a team and, and we've come together a lot for the same reasons and a lot really because we're frightened, you know, and, and that we should see this as a community, that this is um, people who support one another. And from that basis of support, then we can then we can change. So we have to look after ourselves and look after one another. And then the activism that we do is going to really have the effect that we want to in creating this new new beautiful society that we know is possible. It's it's quite I suppose a lot of maybe it's not just Ireland, maybe it's movements in general, but the trade union movement now, um I'm a trade unionist member of SIP2, which is uh, the largest union in Ireland, I think. And uh, it's been very, very positive and wonderful. But like um I think a lot of these spaces is a very masculinist so you end up having to fight your corner if that's the phrase and not even in trade unions but in, in environmental movements in in general and in a lot of kind of progressive spaces because they tend to be just because I suppose that kind of idea that Louise is talking about and yourself that um, putting the eco before the ego isn't really uh, isn't really kind of like mainstream um, 
in a lot of these movements yet. Um, I, I want to repeat the phrase just in case it, the, the, during the dip in the call it was missed. But Louise made a really good phrase there, which was like um, the need to reflect um, on our behaviours. Otherwise, you end up replicating those behaviours. And um, like what happens today after the revolution when you do fight for this wonderful revolution? But the only way that you know of behaving is, in fact, the, the, the structures that created the problems that you had to, to fight in the first place. And is that what you mean also with uh, the, um, the feminine parad- paradigm? Uh, paradigm? I don't know. Paradigm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. that you see maybe a rise of that paradigm? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all this stuff sort of that we've been talking about. But um, the feminine paradigm, or you could call it like the feminine energy, um, in the same way masculine energy or this kind of domination energy, which is often associated with, with masculine, it, it can be, um, you know, can be done by women and men, like Sinead so well, well said, you know, this, this feminine paradigm is also can be participated in by both or emulated by both men and women. Um, and essentially, it kind of gets at that idea that, you know, until now, like what we've all been, what we've been talking about through this whole podcast, um, really, we've lived in a very masculine paradigm. So it's, 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 you know, we all know about the patriarchy, but also, um, as Sinead has so well described, just this, this kind of what you would associate that would be kind of domination or controlling or a more sort of logical, mechanistic way of, of approaching things. Um, and Sinead talked about how it comes from the Enlightenment, but also um, this really this really way of thinking comes from um, the scientific revolution, which was a lot about reductionism. And reductionism is essentially, you know, the idea that we understand things by by breaking them down into the smallest their smallest entities. So we reduce them down. So we reduce whole systems down. Um, and this reductionism, you know, is a way of understanding the world that really came out of the scientific revolution and saw other ways of understanding the world, whether they be more nature based or, you know, magic or whatever it is, were then dominated. And this really this reductionism as um, an amazing, the amazing scholar and activist um, Vandana Shiva talks about a lot is it's really what's underpinned our economic um, system, our exploitation of nature um, and the exploitation of women, because it's all about pairing things down into the services that they provide, you know, dividing things down, systems that should never be divided, that are fundamentally sacred and, and intrinsic, have value in themselves. And And now what I really see is is kind of we're now looking for an alternative to that right because we know where that has brought us and in a lot of ways that alternative is represented in the feminine paradigm which is all about interconnectedness and wholeness and a very inclusive energy um which would then you know talk about the ecosystem at large us also as part of the ecosystem and how do we sustain that and how do we protect that rather than talking about like what Sinead talked about which which happens a lot in, in policy and it's one of my research areas um this idea of commodifying nature, of, of saying, okay, we put a price on nature and then that's how we protect it. We, we pay it down to the services that we need, ecosystem services. We put a price in it and that's how we're going to protect nature. I mean, that's again reductionist, but we need this kind of inclusive paradigm that brings, that brings all of these things together and appreciates the whole and, and how we protect that and how we kind of, we keep that sacred. So that's really what I see emerging, and and the coven that we set up is 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 one representation of that. But this is happening worldwide, with Standing Rock. We saw it as the the women led protest, the youth and women led protest, which which has been one of the most successful awakenings I think worldwide of consciousness. Um, 
And and we see that really, I think, happening worldwide. And that's the sort of, these are the sort of movements we need to support. Because I think this is really what's, what's going to be the paradigm of the future and what's, what's going to, yeah, what, what has the most hope, really. Yeah. And I think I think it's important too because um, I went to a really fascinating talk on like a um, kind of the non the um, like based on Judith Butler. So some a problem that ecofeminism has historically had, and there's there's changes to it now, but we do want to um, to address it. Is that uh, there's an awful lot of trans exclusionary radical feminism, and we totally disagree with that. So the mm. idea that there's there's that there's a bi- the binary worldview that there's man and woman um, is also what contributes to the idea that there's there's man and nature and that there's two separate worlds um, that are distinct and, and should be kept distinct from one another. Um, so that idea that there's exclusively male and female ways of being or seeing or, or operating in the world is something that has been definitely questioned and and definitely um, practic- in practice just is, isn't true. Like there's, there's plenty of non-binary perspectives as well on climate change and particularly that, um, like, uh, that, that uh, trans group or non-binary groups um, would be uh, when when the effects of climate change do operate in certain areas, um, those kind of marginalised voices or marginalised groups are the first to feel the effects and the last to get the support. So that is something as well that um, it's um, like femininity as a as a hist- as a as a phrase to describe what we have in front of us for the moment, um, but obviously questioning the fact that there is both male and female and only that is something as well that we do think about because there's other species as well um, mm. which is something too to, to take into account um, something very interesting like friends of the earth again makes it sound like that we're separate but um, we're not we're, we're also it's another species on a, on a planet but that, that's, that's Louise's point <laughs> but um, no. you know that we're, we're people oh, no. on a planet of many other things Both points. and uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have like it's gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have a whole night thinking and I, I, I well, a whole night because I, I tend to when I stop my day I then that's when my brain is like, Okay, what didn't what couldn't I what couldn't I think about today because I was too busy. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely also gonna take a a long time. It's great to to hear and listen, um I still have so much to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, on your point, I, I think we, we all have so much to learn, right? It, it's a process of relearning. And that's, and that's it's, it's a process of relearning and re-educating ourselves because we've grown up in a system that actually, maybe in our adulthood or, or because some particular life experience we've had, we've realized that it's not the way things should be. And we've been taught a lot of things that aren't true. So I think the most important thing, like what we've been talking about is just reflecting on how we see the world and if that's, you know, the right way or the wrong way. And then just pairing back and relearning and remembering actually who we are, that we are nature and, and letting that guide our action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And being okay with the fact that you have to learn. Because I think that's something as well. Um, human ideologies have not caught up yet with the fact of climate change, the, this massive existential threat. And all you can do is admit that you don't know. And I find that's a difficulty in this kind of very masculine paradigm that we have um, on both sides of right and left. Um, they're unwilling to, to admit that they're wrong. Um, thankfully, amongst um, obviously um, leftist perspectives, feminism and so on. And uh, 
uh, kind of LGBTQI and, and everything have more of a home there. So I, I have more hope for that. But it is something that we need to. Um, I do think that ego is a is an issue here. I think I definitely echo everything Sinead said, and and, and also, in a way, you know, I, I I briefly mentioned Standing Rock, but but just to highlight again what happened there. I mean, that was really the people who flocked to Standing Rock, also non-native people, they experienced a relearning. And the message there was so simple, you know, and so fundamental that water is life and water is sacred and that what our system is doing right now is desecrating everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are water and we are nature. And and if we desecrate nature, we desecrate ourselves, you know, and and this sort of just pairing back to the basics again of what is important. You know, it's important, like Sinead says, I mean, we're all humans on this planet uh, facing a very uncertain future. But we know for sure that we're all in it together. So what we really need to do is figure out ways of, of working with one another and protecting the things that we all need, like mm-hmm. water and clean air and a safe ecosystem. And and like I said before, like we're in it together. So, I mean, we can't have these divides. We have to figure it out. Um, and that comes from thinking outside the box and thinking outside the system, which has brought us to this place. And there's many, many things going on Um that are alternatives and that are showing that there's a new wave of consciousness and that we can just actually get out of the system by just, you know, starting ourselves to create, create the alternatives. And, and I think that's, I mean, there is a lot of hope there and we just have to stay focused on, on that and live in line with that intention of what we really want to see in the world. Thank you both for these great, inspiring words. Um, We wish we could continue the conversation, but maybe this is just a start. Thanks also for listening and to keep up to date with our network's campaigns, follow Friends of the Earth Europe on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website at www.foeeurope.org. Get involved with the Friends of the Earth near you by going to foeeurope.org slash network. Subscribe to this episode on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts. And follow radio stories from around the Friends of the Earth International Network at radiomundoreal.fm. Thanks to Pete Tem for the music, and see you next time. Bye! This was Friends of the Earth Europe and Rio Radio.